Welcome to the Intelligent Living Podcast, where we discuss all things related to life. We have the entirety of the world's encyclopedias at our fingertips. There is more knowledge available to us now than in any time in human history. So why does it seem that the majority of people are not living intelligent and wise lives? Well, my name's Elliot. I'm the producer here at Intelligent Living, and our goal is to equip and empower you with the wisdom it takes to live life more abundantly. Glad you're with us tonight. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This is actually a series I started weeks and weeks ago. It's called The Power of Panic. And then I stopped it and I restarted it called uh, Answers for Anxiety. And I know a lot has been said, but if you read or you watch news, it's still... uh, Just yesterday I heard one of the news announcers talk about covid anxiety a new term that's come about called COVID anxiety what's happened in society and the truth is we're always hearing about COVID we're always hearing the dangers we're always hearing all that's going on and it has created some problems and I'll talk about that probably maybe next week but as more information has come out you and I we know now that we're actually very very safe and I'll speak some more about that on Sunday morning. The governor, Newsom of California, uh, with all due respect, he had a conference call with all the religious leaders. Uh, I don't know why I wasn't called. But anyway, they had a conference call with all the religious leaders, and he talked about the church. And um, very interesting. He, don't, he does not see the church as you and I see the church. And so I'll tell you about what he said and what was spoken about because we were able to talk to one of the senators who happened to hear the conversation happens to know what was being said so we'll talk about that so tonight I just want to cover again talking about anxiety and I can say this and I'll say it later on it's easier it's always easy to talk about something than it is to deal with it I mean I can talk about the answers for anxiety but uh, I can talk about dieting. It's easy to, there's any subject we can talk about, but talking about it is one thing. Uh, dealing with it and addressing it is something different. And it's actually the opposite. I think you would call it paradoxical, I think you would say. You tell someone, don't worry about anxiety, all they do is think about anxiety. And so it's not always wise, but they say that's what's true about it. You tell people, don't eat, you're on a diet. All you think about is not eating because you're on a diet. It's the same thing. And so you think about during this time, people say, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Well, people are going to worry. Don't be afraid. People are dying. And just, you hear that, of course it's going to affect you. How can it not, you and I are, you know, we're human beings. We, We are affected by information. But let me just say this, in light of all that's gone on, all that we know now, if you're just healthy normally just healthy the chance of you getting covid and dying from it is realistically probably less than one percent less than one percent which means you have a 99 percent chance of not ever getting it and dying from it which means you're probably pretty safe and so a lot of it now we know a lot more information has been released we know by first-hand responders people 
that are working on the front lines with COVID. And we have a lot more information today. And knowing that, listen, we're, we're, we're fine. And you'll be fine. Uh, so <clears throat> if you're worried, you're really worried, all I'm saying is, uh, of course we respect it, absolutely, but it's not as bad as it was led to believe in the beginning. We are a lot more safer than you realize, and you're probably going to be fine. But as a Christian, you and I, we are more than just fine. Our hands are in the hands of God. When I was in high school, I joined, um, well, I swam. I like swimming. I didn't join a swim team, but I like swimming. I became a lifeguard. Um, they teach you how to save people, but I became a lifeguard. You know, I'm saying it now. I like this little confession, I guess, high school confession. I became a lifeguard because that's where all the girls hung out. And I wouldn't be around the girls. And so I became a lifeguard. Uh, didn't learn much, but I did learn some stuff. But it was interesting because <clears throat> I read an article recently about saving people. And, and they're talking about training lifeguards and what it, and what they use to train lifeguards is there, there's a video clip of a young girl in a pool. And I'm not going to give it away what's going to happen because it's part of this story I'm telling you. So... Most people think if someone is drowning, most people think they're going to scream and yell, I can't swim, I'm drowning. It depends on how old they are. But most people, not all, someone listening to me, you're going to correct me. Uh, you don't have to, I'll correct myself. But most people, when they drown, they drown in silence. Most people don't know that. People can drown right next to somebody and they don't even know the person next to them is at the bottom of the pool and is drowning. Because what happens normally is when they begin to drown, they become paralyzed by fear, grabs them so powerfully, they basically go into shock almost. They, they don't, they, you have to wave their hands for a second, but they're going down. So most of the time, people die by drowning and oftentimes, even children die in a pool with people in the pool, and they die. See, well, how can someone die in a pool next to people? Because they, they drown in silence. They simply go to the bottom. In this particular video, it showed a girl on an inner tube, and she was in a pool with her family members. And I guess, you know, the family had cameras on the pool you know, for, for safety. And what happened was the girl... <clears throat> tried to readjust herself on the on the inner tube and fell off and she went immediately down she, she just went almost straight down and she's there at the bottom of the pool and there's family people all around her didn't even realize she was drowning a, a guy that was there watching it saw what was going on jumped in and rescued her if the man had not even noticed what was going on she would have died right now <clears throat> people um, you know, we may not notice them putting their hands up and yelling, I'm drowning, I'm, I'm paralyzed by fear. Uh, but there are a lot of people right now that are drowning spiritually in silence. There are people that are paralyzed by fear. And so as you and I are out and about, I know we're social distancing, I get that, but we're still out and about around people. And you may be around some people and you think, well, if they're so afraid, how can people, you know... There are people you'll be around, but don't expect those people sometimes to be screaming, I'm afraid, or a lot of people won't 
won't discuss their fears. But that doesn't mean they don't have fears. They can be paralyzed by fear, worried, and not say anything. And so as a Christian, I would just say to all of us, we need to be aware that there, things are really happening inside of people's lives. You and I, I think sometimes we lose touch because we know our life is in the hands of God. And by the grace of God, most of us are not fearful. Most of us are not worried. But a lot of people are very worried and a lot of people are very fearful. And you and I might be next to some of those people and you're waiting for a signal. Well, they may not signal anything, but you and I can bring a word of hope. And that's what I try to do if I'm around people. They ask me, what, what do you think is going to happen? And I, I always kind of just say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's gonna, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And I think that's a better attitude to have than uh, give them more fear and more trouble. So the title of this one, and I'm only going to get to one point tonight of my message, but to, this one is it's simple. It's called Conquering COVID Fear, but how to cure worry, anxiety, and fear by becoming a bird watcher. By becoming a bird watcher. You say, well, how does that even make sense? Well, we'll read it. We'll get to part of it today and part of it next week. So I'm going to read a number of different portions of Scripture, and we'll get into it. One's going to be a brief recap. I think it's important, and we'll go from there. So let's start with our verses. Matthew chapter 6. All the verses are 25 through 34, but I'm only going to read down to 27 from verse 25. This is what Jesus says. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. That's where I got the phrase, bird watcher. Jesus, Jesus said, look at the birds. You thought I was crazy. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant, they don't harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Verse 27, he says, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And literally what it means is all your worry and anxiety, can you extend your life? Is literally what it means. Can you add to your life the length of life by worrying? He says you can't, you can't add one minute longer by worrying. And so there's the first verses. Then verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, some people read that, and all they read is, and he will give you everything you need. Well, you, well, you missed the first part of the verse. The first part of the verse says, seek first the kingdom of God. Above all else, then he says, live right. You can't, you can't divorce that. You can't leave that out. Forget about God. Forget about putting God first. Forget about doing right. God says in his word, he give me everything that I need. It doesn't work that way. There are conditions to promises. And so Jesus says that. Then verse 34, he says, 
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough for today. Then now we're going to turn to the book of Luke. Book of Luke chapter 10. A few verses. Pretty well-known story about Martha and Mary. The Bible says, And Jesus and the disciples continued on their way. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a village where, where a woman named Martha welcomed them into their, her home. Her sister Mary sat on the floor listening as Jesus talked to them. But Martha was a jittery type and worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Sir, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, dear friend, you are upset over all these details. There is really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And I won't take it away from her. Psalms 27 is the Psalms we've been looking at. Psalms 27 is the verse we used last week or two weeks ago. It says, one thing I ask from the Lord, beginning in verse 4, just one verse here. This only I do seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Then Psalms 27 again, but in verse 9, it simply says, Oh, <clears throat> do not hide yourself when I'm trying to find you. Do not angrily reject your servant. You have been my help in all my trials before. Don't leave me now. Don't forsake me. Oh, God of my salvation. So here's a brief recap of anxiety. It's a very simple term. I'm not giving the full definition like I gave, but it simply means a painful emotional state marked by disquiet, alarm, or dread, distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. General anxiety is caused by the human state of being helpless. Another man said recently, he said, anxiety is literally based on spending more time and more conscious attention on things that we can't control rather than things we can control. The more time we spend on things that are out of our hands, the more anxious we become. COVID has become a huge issue in this regard because we constantly surrounded by the bad news about all the things we cannot control. So, again, general anxiety is caused by a human state of being helpless. And that's what I said two weeks ago. And let me describe what I'm trying to say there is when things come our way that disrupt our life, whether it's work, home, marriage, finances, health, we feel we can feel helpless. And I, and I pointed out that why, why are people so, why do we get so anxious? Why are we so troubled when these things are touched in our life? When our job is touched, when our health is touched, or 
our money is touched or lost, our health is compromised. Why is it that all these things trouble us so deeply? Well, they're the things we, we basically live for. And for most people, they're the things we count on. They're, they're the things that, that we have made priority of our life. Our job, our home, these are important parts of our life. And for some people, they take what is important, but they elevate it to most important. They take their job. You have to have a job to pay your bills. You have to have a job to support your family. Absolutely. But some people take their job to the point where the job becomes literally everything. Their job becomes their refuge almost. Their job becomes their dignity. If they have a great job, they introduce themselves, and the, for most men anyway, it's about ego, they will introduce themselves and they tell you what they do. Not who they are, they tell you what they do. They give you the title, I'm so-and-so a lawyer, I'm so-and-so a doctor, I'm so-and-so, whatever it might be, but that job, and for some people, they spend so much time, they become workaholics, they're always at work. And so much so, they neglect their family, neglect their kids, neglect their wife. And so they've elevated the job to a point that it, you can even say, and I said this, you, can, you become, literally, you make it an idol of your life. It becomes something you may not realize it, but it becomes an idol. And you literally worship your job. It, but it's going to cost you. Whatever you worship, if it's false worship, it's always going to cost you at the end. You, you, you will pay a price at the end. You can't worship that idol and have everything else normal. Sooner or later, it takes a toll. So it could be your body. We know people worship literally their body. There's people that get up at four in the morning, go to the gym for a couple hours before they go to work. I mean, they're dedicated to their body. They're dedicated on what they eat, what they will not eat. I mean, they are on top of it. Uh, but the same thing, they've elevated themselves, their, their bodies. It becomes an idol. They're always taking pictures of their body. I mean, it's pretty sickening, actually. But they, and so they've elevated. It goes on and on and on. So when these things are touched, whether it's our job, our health, our body, our finances, when these things are touched or shaken or taken from us, it, it's very disruptive in our life. And the reason being, and I said this, is because those things have become idols and they're false gods. Some people don't realize that job is a false god. See, what do you mean? Well, you thought that job would be there forever. There's people that have lost their job, and that job is gone. That's shaking you. They say today, 30 to 40 percent of the businesses will never come back into business because of COVID. 30 to 40 percent, even if it's 30 percent, that's so tragic. Businesses will never, 30% will never even come back into business. Lost, gone. That's people's dreams. That's people's savings. That's people's life. Gone. And they, and they honestly thought, I thought this would be here forever. It's, it's not. They're, they make it a God. And I mentioned St. Augustine. You're talking long, many, many years back. And he gave a quote. I'll read it again. And you would think, St. Augustine, how can he relate to any modern idols? But he's so wise. And he points this out clearly. And let me read it to you. <clears throat> he says it like this, though. He said, when good things become the one thing, you see. 
When things that are good have to become the things that you must have, they become the central values of your life. That's where anxiety comes from, Augustine says, because anxiety is always a sign of a collapse of a false god. Let me say that again. Because anxiety is always a sign of a collapse of a false god. You think, unless I have this, I cannot be happy or satisfied. And this is what creates, what I said creates, a deep soul anxiety and fear. And so, that's exactly what happens. It's a collapse of a false god, and your soul's troubled. You don't know what to do. David, is ta David talks about God, and he talks about the one thing. And his one thing is really one thing. He doesn't, he's not talking about his job or his money or his health and all those things are important. But he says, my one thing is in none of those, though they're important. He says, my one thing is that I just want to dwell in your house forever. So what does that mean today? How does that make any sense to us to where we live today? What he's saying is, if this is, if this is where my hope is, if this is really all that I want, then I should be fine because you can touch money, you can touch health, you can touch all these other things, and you can take those things away, but you cannot take away our God as a Christian. You may take us out of our job, may not have a job, but I still have my God, and you still have your God. Jesus Christ still lives inside of us. And so it's said like this, because you see, anything but God in his will is subject to change or subject to the changes of life and time. And I said, anything but God in his will is vulnerable or can simply change. Anything but God. David says, me, my everything and my only thing that I want is God. With that in mind, if that's our state and that's how we believe or that's how we this is where we want to be, then that man or that woman is really, I know we're human, but they're unshaken or they're fearless. Because you can take my job, you can touch my health, you can take away my money, but I still have my God. And as long as I have my God, I'll be okay. And you have to, we don't just, it's not hype, it's a fact. He created the world. He spoke the worlds into existence. And so David says it like that. He says, there's one thing that I want. The only thing that I want to do is dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I said, what does that mean? I said two weeks ago. And really what David is talking about, I said, David is not talking about a location. I'm going to go to church and dwell there forever. He's not talking about a location at all. He's, he's talking primarily about experiencing God. He says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. He's talking about, I want to have unbroken uh, fellowship with God. I want to be in God's presence. And I said the word dwell means to remain. It means to abide in me. It means to be in God's presence. David is basically saying, this is what I want in my life. I, I want to dwell in God's presence. And if I dwell in God's presence and I'm with God and I experience God, uh, it's not just... It's really experiencing him. If I can experience God and I can dwell in his presence, then I'll be fine. He says, that's one thing. And he says three things 
But all three are basically the same thing. I want to be with God. Not theory, not in my head, but in my heart. I want to experience his presence. If you're a Christian, you've experienced the presence of God. Before we couldn't gather, we would have services and we would experience the presence of God. The presence of God is very real. It's tangible. It's not make-believe. It's not hype. It's a, it's a reality. God does touch us. His spirit touches us. He moves upon us, touches our hearts. He does what no man can do. He can settle a heart. He can settle a troubled soul. He can heal a broken heart. No matter what goes on in the world, we have a God who can reach us still. We may not be able to go certain places, but you, you cannot. You cannot take away the spirit of God. You can't take away God's influence. God is still God. Space doesn't matter to God. A guy in Africa or a guy here, a guy in Europe or Holland, it doesn't matter where they're at. God can touch them and touch me at the same time. He's God. So we have something. So that's what David's talking about. David says, I want to just be in God's presence. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what I want. If I can do that, then I'm good. I'm good. So our story of Martha and Mary, it's basically one of the sisters is saying basically what David is saying, but she's showing. She's demonstrating it. Again, the Bible simply says in Luke, it says, her sister Mary sat on the floor listening to Jesus. And then it says in verse 40, but Martha, this is the amplified version, I think. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, sounds like a lot of people today, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving, she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sisters left me to serve all alone? Tell her to come and help me. Tell her to give me a hand. The word was distracted means to drag around. It means to distract. It means to be troubled greatly. But it also means to be driven around mentally. You know, we know what it's like. We, we say phrases like, I got a thousand things on my mind. That's a guy say. For a guy to say that, he really means like two. A woman might have a thousand things on her mind, but a guy, two. So, but it's in your mind. I got all this stuff on my mind. I got too much on my mind right now. Don't, don't mess with me. I got too, I'm thinking that's what's going on here. The Bible says that she's too distracted. She's doing all these things. She's agitated in her mind. Her spirit is not at peace. Mary's there sitting, listening to Jesus. And she doesn't like this. <clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things. And now the version says, therefore, do not be anxious about all these life things, I call it. And that word worry basically means to be anxious. Same thing. It means to be distracted. And it comes from a word that's basically the same thing. It means to be drawn in different uh, directions. It means to be divided into parts. And A.T. Robertson says it means basically to go to pieces because you're being pulled in all different directions. Jesus is saying that's no way to live. But we all know there's people that are worried, troubled, full of anxiety because their mind is literally going all these different directions. They are, their mind's everywhere. Mary... The Bible says her mind was basically one place. At that moment, she wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And the Bible says she sat at his feet and she just listened to him. 
And the Bible says her sister goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. You think about it. Here's her sister. We use the word tattletaling now on her sister. She's, she's, she's upset. She's, she's a little mad. She's tell her, you know, you, you tell her to help me. And she feels a little bit self-righteous. You know, I'm doing all the work. She is doing nothing. I'm doing all the work. She's doing nothing but sitting there. You know, and not only does she sound self-righteous, then she, then now she's, first she says that, then she asks Jesus, she's actually bossing Jesus now. Tell her to help me. You know, when you get full of anxiety, you know, when you don't have peace, you know what you try to do? You try to put that on other people. Because you're upset, you want me to be upset. Because you're on edge, you want me to be on edge. Because you're not willing to go to church, put God first, and I am. You get mad at me. And so that's what she's doing. She's saying, Jesus says, listen, Mary, she's got the one thing down. And I'm not taking that away from her. This is what she's doing. She's got her one thing here. I'm not taking that from her. And so it's the same thing. On one hand, we got one sister. The Bible's clear. It says she's agitated. She's, she's worried. She's troubled. She's, her mind's going. And we got another one just simply listening and being in God's presence. You know, you can live life and you can survive if you can get into God's presence. People think we go to church. It's entertainment. As some governor said, does it mean nothing? No, we don't go for entertainment. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are some places that are pretty entertaining. But we come to hear from God and to get in his presence. And that, what that does for us gives us the ability to live outside these walls and face all that life throws at us because of being in his presence. And so that's what's going on. And that's basically what David says. David says, basically, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to dwell in your presence. I want to have a personal experience with you. That's what he's talking about. And then David says something in Psalms 27, verse 9. He says this. He makes a statement about God. I think it's important. He says, you've been my help in all my trials before. And what David is saying is, I've tested God all these years. I've lived for God all these years. I've put God to the test in all kinds of situations, and I've never found him wanting. God has been there. All, all, all that's gone on in my life, he said, I've never found him wanting. And that's what he's talking about. He said, you know what, God, I, I'm looking back at my life, and I look at all the trials I've been through, and you've been there all along. He reaches back to his past and he realizes, God, you've been there in the past. You've been there all along and so you'll be in the presence and you'll probably be in my future. Absolutely. And so you think about it. <clears throat> Number one, here's my first point. I'm just getting to my first point. Remember, has, remember how God has helped you in the past. Give me five more minutes. Five more minutes to hear me out. This, some of you can listen to this and say, really? So simple. Listen to this. Right now, this can sound like a very simple statement, and it is. 
But I know you can face the present and I know you can face the future. Some of you would say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm going to give you an answer. Are you ready? Well, I'll tell you how I know that because you're, you're listening to me right now. I know I can't see you listening to me, but I know there's people listening to me. Our church people, our church family, you're listening to me. So what are you saying? I'm saying you're alive today and you're listening to me right now. And what I'm really saying is whatever happened to you in the past to this point, you, all, you survived it. You've made it to this point. You've made it, no matter what's happened in the past. In our past, most of us hit points that we think, how in the world am I going to make it through this? You've made it through it. Think about your past. Think about the things you've overcome. And yeah, I, I would, re you know, I readily admit that uh, probably a little more beaten up, a little more scrapes, a little more bruises, probably a little hurt, a little older, a little wrinkler, whatever. But the bottom line is, okay, I've been beat up, but I, I've made it. I'm standing right here. I'm still in church. I'm still at home. I'm listening to the word of God. So you've made it is what I'm saying. You've overcome all the things you thought you would never overcome, but you didn't overcome them because of your own power. God helped you. God helped you. Like David says, God, you helped me in the past. I think every one of us need to remember that point. Remember how God has helped you and me in the past. Moses tells the people of God quickly here. He says, he says to them, a number of times, I won't read the verses. He gets the people and he tells them over and over again, you need to remember all that God did for us. He sets them down and he basically tells them, he says, listen, right before he's getting ready to go to the promised land, he, he lays some things out and he basically reminds the children of Israel of all that God had done for them in the past. That's what he does. He lays it all out. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. Okay, the promised land. Not the poison land, promised land. He lays out all the things God had done for them. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 1. He says this. The Lord your God is going before you. He will fight for you just as he saw him do in Egypt. And how you saw the Lord your God cared for you again and again in the wilderness. Just as a father cares for his child. Now, I may have printed it wrong, but that is a verse in Deuteronomy. But here's my point. Moses is asking them, I want you guys to go down memory lane, and I want you to think for a moment about all that God has done for you. Moses understands, God understands people. God understands you. God made you. God knows you better than you know you. See, he, he, he wants to lay it out to them, you guys. Listen, we're going to the promised land. I want you guys to remember how God did what he did. Well, well, what did he do? Well, you think about it. He did all kinds of things. We know that. We had the pillar of fire that was with the children of Israel. He, he parts the Red Sea. We, we know he parts, literally parts a Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea. They walk on dry land. The Bible says that he destroyed the Egyptian army. I mean, there are a lot of amazing miracles and now they find themselves in the wilderness. They're completely in the wilderness. Think about this. This is a picture of, well, I can't say it like this, but hear me out. It's a picture of COVID-19 in the sense of 
They're in total isolation. You talk about social distancing from the Egyptians? You're talking in the middle of the wilderness? There ain't no stores closed. There ain't no stores. There's no water. There's no water supply. There's nothing. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. There is absolutely nothing there. And most commentators believe there are at least one million people. They're out in the middle of the wilderness with a leader named Moses. How in the world are... We're out in the middle of... There's no water. There's no food. How are we going to survive? Well, I'll tell you how you survive. Remember what God did in the past? Yeah, okay, he's still God. And what happens? In that wilderness, the Bible talks about, even though they're isolated, they have no resources, and that might be some of you right now, you're isolated, you have no resources. I know there are people that literally don't have no money, don't have no food, which is beyond sad. People need to find out who those people are and help them, but they're in that place. And you may be a Christian, say, oh, I lost my job, I'm not getting no extra money. For whatever reason, you find yourself in this same place. You feel like you're in the wilderness. You've been separated from everybody. You've been left by yourself. You don't have anything. You don't know how it's going to come out. You think you're going to die. No, the God that took care of you yesterday is the same God take care of you today. The God who took care of Egypt, Egypt, and the Egyptians, and the army, the Red Sea, the God who did all of that for the children of Israel, he's still God. And what does God do? There they are in this place. God shows up and gives them manna, which we just simply make it, make it modern. It was bread. Or if you're a Mexican, he gave them some tortillas. Gives them some bread. And the Bible says he gives them bread every day. And the Bible also says he gives them some quail. They don't have to bake the bread. They don't have to go hunt for the quail. Every day, God delivers it to them. Every single day. I'm, I'm not talking about Amazon Prime. I'm talking about God Prime. God delivers it to them every single day to take care of them. That God is your God also. If you're a Christian, that's, your, that's our God. I'm not saying he's going to do the same thing, but I, do, I believe this with all my heart. I wouldn't be saying it. God will take care of us. How do I know God's going to take care of us? How do I know God's going to take care of me, take care of you? Because he took care of us yesterday. Right? Absolutely. They need water. Think about these things. They need water. Moses just walks up to a rock and says, speaks to the rock, and the Bible says the water comes gushing out of, out of a rock. I mean, you talk about some pretty wild miracles. God did all that for his, his, the children of Israel. Think about your own life for a moment. I don't know. But I guarantee you, all of us could say, you know what? God has taken care of me. God has taken care of me in the past. He's going to take care of me in the, in, the, in the present. And he's going to take care of me in the future. David says, that's what he says in Psalms 27, 9. You have been my help through all my trials before. That's what he says. I'll leave that part out, but let me go to this quickly. You know what? If you and I can remember all that God has performed for us in the past, it does give us encouragement to face our future. And, and, and like the Egyptian army, 
Maybe the army's coming after you, whatever. The Red Sea's before you, no work, fear, worry, anxiety, COVID. All those things are there. But I think every one of us need to think about this, that in our past, God has stepped in in moments that we thought we weren't going to make it, and he stepped in and helped us. God's going to step in and help you. you can't, we can't forget. We need to remember what God did in the past. Because that same God's going to help us again. He's the same God who's present. He's the same God who's with us right now. And God saved, has saved us. And I'll talk about it next week. There's so many things that never came to us in our life. I believe this. Because we were in the hands of God. There's trouble that we never saw coming. We never even experienced. That He kept us from. That we don't even know about. Because we never experienced it. Sometimes we don't realize or appreciate the goodness of God because we, we can't always see or, or know what he's kept us from. But he, all of us can agree. There, there's not one Christian listening to me that can point the finger at God. No, you'd point your finger at your past and you'd say, he's helped me. Think about what God's done for you in the past. Well, that God hasn't gone anywhere. He's going to take care of you in the present. And he's going to take care of all of us in the future. Hey, it's Elliot back again, the producer of the Intelligent Living Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. If you found this episode to be useful, would you leave a comment and let us know how it empowered you to live your life more abundantly? Also, don't forget to rate the podcast and share it with the people that you know, love, and trust the most. We can't wait to hear from you, and we will see you next time.